to you about how God loves to use ordinary people. And I want to continue that thought this morning and strengthen you and encourage you in that regard. I love Christmas. I love the Christmas holidays. Uh, Christmas and Easter, of course, are the two of the biggest things uh, in the Christian calendar, the biggest things uh, with Christianity and Christians. And Christmas time can be an amazing time, but it can also be sometimes a hard time to preach on Christmas because it's overwhelming. There's a lot to the story. But what I want you to know this morning is as we look, you know, we're after the fact of the story. And as we look this morning, I'm going to show you some different characters in this story, characters that you're familiar with. I want you to know how God loves you and God wants to use you in your life and in your world right where you are. So I'm going to start this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to read in Luke chapter 1, and the first person I want to talk to you about this morning is Mary. I gave the quote by Abraham Lincoln last week that God must love ordinary people because he made a lot of them. And God's business is people. You know that, don't you? God's business is not buildings, and thank God for buildings. Thank God we have one, but God's business is people. So I'm going to read to you this morning out of Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26, and it says, let me get it on there. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. One of the most favorite things that I love about the Bible story of Christmas is it was set in a place a lot like this right here. It was set in a small community. Bethlehem and Nazareth were small communities. They were agriculture communities, a lot like where you and I live. The weather was a lot like where we live. The, what they grew was a lot like here. Uh, you, know, you know, Jesus wasn't born in Hawaii, okay? He wasn't born in Maui. He wasn't born in, in some beautiful place like that. He was born in a place that's a lot like right here. And they lived in small communities. And one of the things that I love about living in Tulia is most everybody knows everything everybody. And anytime I'm called, you know, and there's those times I'm called, hey, so-and-so's in the hospital, so-and-so needs prayer. And I'll get in my car and I drive to the emergency room right over here at our hospital. And when I get over there, we generally all know each other. The people who are working in the hospital, uh, the EMTs, the nurses, uh, the fire department, generally all those people involved, when I get there, we all know each other. You all know from personal experience, when people in this community are hurting, we know about it and we care about about people and we reach out to each other. I think it's one of the greatest gifts of living in a small community. That's exactly the type of community they lived in. Mary was an ordinary girl. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I'm not saying that in a negative way or a disparaging way, and I'm not trying to knock her down any. You see, we're after the story. We know the whole story, and we know that Mary was anointed. We know Mary was chosen by God, but see, before they all knew that, she was an ordinary girl. Now, why does it matter? Well, women weren't very well cared for in those times. Teenagers sure weren't very cared for in those times, but God chose her. Now, why does it matter to you this morning? Well, it matters, I believe, because God has chosen you too. You see, we live in a society and a culture that can make a big deal out of celebrity, but God's never been in the celebrity business. God's in the people business. Now, God loves the cool kids. He does. And they're invited to the party just like we are. But a lot of times they're too busy doing their own thing to recognize the invitation. 
See, one of the things that I want you to know about Mary and that I want you to know about you is God has chosen you. You've been favored by God, and God wants to walk with you and use you in your life just like he used Mary in her life. Now, Mary was chosen for something very special. Obviously, we know that. She was chosen uh, to bear the Son of God, and that's not ever going to happen again. But God is doing things and wants to do things in your life, and he wants to use you where you are just like he used her. Let me go to the next person. I want to go to Matthew chapter 1, and I want to talk to you a little bit about Joseph. All right, listen to what this says. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She'll have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Let me tell you a couple of things about Joseph. He was just like Mary. He was an ordinary guy, and they were in love, and they were engaged to be married. He walked by the cafe one afternoon on the way home from work, and when he looked in the window, he saw Mary. And he said, hey, I'm going to hook up with her. (laughs) Now, you thought they were all holy and always prayed and all that stuff, right? No, they were just a young couple who lived in a small town who were in love. My mother went to work at a place, and uh, this place that she went to work, I don't even remember it. But what I remember is she brought Vicky home to my house to meet me. And when she walked in my house and sat down, I said, well, baby, let's get married. And that's not really an exaggeration. It was almost that fast, right? On our very first date, I asked her, what are you going to do with your apartment when you get married? Okay, I wasn't out, you know, I I had to get on with business, right? And she said she'd never had anybody on a date ask her, you know, about getting married. That's because I didn't want her going on any of the dates, right? I wanted her getting married with me. Mary and Joseph were young and they were in love. Here's what I love about this story. God did not confer with Joseph before he went to Mary. He didn't go to Joseph and say, hey, by the way, I've chosen your fiance and uh, she's gonna have my son. He didn't do that. I, I don't know what that stirs in you, but it stirs something in me. He had to go to Joseph in a dream with an angel. Here's the second thing I like about Joseph. Mary's well-being was his concern. Now, it says in the story that he was a righteous man. That's what the King James says. In the New Living Translation, it says he was a good man, but the King James says he was a righteous man. And it says because he was a righteous man, he was concerned about her well-being. Now, let me tell you a couple of things. I want you to know, and I know most of you know it if you've attended this church for very long, I'm a righteous man. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, you're a righteous man or a righteous woman. We know the New Testament teaches, I'm not righteous because of what I do. I'm righteous because of who I am, because I know Jesus is my Savior. Amen? See, Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for us. And when I accepted that sacrifice, I became in right standing with God. It's called righteousness. 
okay? So it's not something that I do to be righteous. It's something that's already been done. It says that Joseph was a righteous man. Then it says because he was a righteous man, his welfare was for Mary. See, what he was supposed to do was he was supposed to publicly shame her, disassociate himself from her, and break off the engagement because she was pregnant out of wedlock before they were to get married. But it says that he didn't do that. Now, here's, here's what I want to impart to you. Gentlemen, let me just talk to you for a minute. Can I encourage you this morning, if you know Jesus as your Savior and you're a righteous man, can I encourage you to make your wife and your family one of your priorities and their welfare is one of your top concerns? Can I tell you honestly from my own life, my wife's welfare has not always been my top concern. And I'll just tell you that. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Lots of times I don't want what's good for her. I want what's good for me. Uh, By the way, that's called selfishness. Right? Yeah. Quit amen, brother. Amen. Don't amen when I talk about being selfish. Right? He's, he, yeah. Come on. Right? I mean, y'all always agree with me when I'm bad about myself, right? <clears throat> yes. I, I can be selfish and I can be self-centered and I can be about me. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you men and I want to encourage you women. I love how Joseph was about her welfare. Can I encourage you gentlemen? Amp it up a little. Okay, amp it up a little and start making your mate, her welfare, one of your priorities. Your children or your grandchildren. I love that about Joseph. Joseph's an ordinary guy. He's a carpenter. He worked hard just like all of you in this room do. They lived in a small community. They're engaged. They're in love. She comes up pregnant. Don't you love it? Uh, I'm pregnant and it's God's baby. Now, we're after the story, so we don't have any problem with that. But can you imagine what that felt like? If that happened today, we'd think, well, you're crazy. They thought the very same thing. In fact, an angel had to come in a dream and say, hey, no, no, this is me, right? This is me, and uh, it, it is my baby, and I want you to go ahead and to marry her, and he did. And her welfare was one of his priorities. I don't want to move on without you knowing in your heart that that matters. Let me talk to you about the next person in the story. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and I want to talk to you about the shepherds. I love this part of the story. It says, that night there were shepherds. Now, Jesus has already been born. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, The Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth or in swaddling, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven. I love that. Not the little fat chubby angels of heaven. Doesn't say that, does it? No. This is the armies of heaven. Okay, these were some bad boys. And they sang. So real men sing. Come on now. I can chase that, but I won't, right? Can I say it one more time? Real men sing. All right, let me go on. And it says, glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Let me tell you something about the shepherds. I love the shepherds. Here's what I love about them. Number one, they're working the night shift. And they're watching sheep. Now, it doesn't say this, but I want to just throw this out for you to ponder. Maybe the sheep they were watching did not even belong to them. Maybe they belonged to somebody else. Here's what I kind of think about this story. 
These guys are tending somebody else's sheep. They're working the night shift to guard them, to protect them from predators and from thieves. Jesus is born, one of the greatest events in human history, and God sends an angel with an army of angels out into the field with the guys working the night shift to announce the coming of Jesus. Now, that's just bad PR. Okay, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, remember last week I talked about the, uh, about the story of Gideon and how, remember, Gideon uh, went down to the camp and the soldiers had a vision that a loaf of bread came in and hit one of the tents and knocked it down and that meant God was going to give Gideon the victory. And I said, how come God used a loaf of bread? Remember, if you were here last week, you know, if it would have been me, I wouldn't have used a loaf of bread. I would have used a black stallion with red eyes and flames coming out of his nostrils and black hooves. I would have amped it up. Okay, I wonder the same thing about this with the shepherds. Okay, listen, God is announcing the most important event in human history. And he goes to the night shift out into the field with guys watching livestock. Now, here's what it would be like. You know, there's lots of feedlots in this area, and I don't know a lot about feedlots, but I know that guys that work feedlots, when they ship cattle, they go early in the morning, and they get out there at 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning, which in essence is the middle of the night. And these guys work hard just like these shepherds did, and they go out and they round up somebody else's cattle, and they load them and they ship them. Imagine the most important event in human history happens, and then God sends angels out to Bartlett to the guys who are loading cattle. And while they're loading cattle, all of a sudden an angel appears and says, hey, i got something important to tell you. Then after he tells them, then a whole group of angels appear and they all start singing. And here's what I want you to see. He wouldn't have come to your house because probably you were too important. You see, he went out to the fields where the working guys were to share the news with him. And we know they went into town and they shared it and they were all excited. They were all stirred up. Here's the next thing I want you to think about this story. And one angel appeared. Then it says, out of nowhere, an army of angels appeared. I've heard it said before that we worship the sky god. You know who the sky god is? Well, that's God who's out there somewhere. See, we, you know, we can tend to think that as Christians. Lots of times as Christians, we think, well, heaven's a long ways away. Heaven is out there somewhere. And since heaven is out there, God is out there. And he's on his throne. And I think Jesus is there. And people that I loved who died, they're, they're there. But they're way far away. And so when I talk to God, it's like he can't hear me or he's busy. And it says right here in this story that suddenly the angels appeared. Now, here, here's what I want to stir in you this morning. I think the kingdom of God is a lot closer than we think. You see, we've separated the natural world from the spiritual world. We live in the natural world. We're right here. We're here. We're in church this morning. We're going to get ready to leave and go have dinner, and you're going to do other things today. We've separated the natural from the spiritual. When I think there's never been any separation, we've done it. God didn't do it. The Bible says that God will what? He'll never leave you or forsake you. It says that Jesus lives on the inside of me. So here's what I want to stir in your heart. See, you think you have to somehow call God down when God's here all along. You see, the angels were there the whole time. They just didn't see him. And then they went, hey, I wonder how many angels are here this morning. And we just don't see them. And because we don't see them, we think they're not here. I wonder how many angels go with you throughout your day. 
at your work and your friends and your family. I wonder how much of the kingdom of God goes with you all the time, all the day, but you just don't recognize it. When are you going to get tired of things being a coincidence? Oh, that was just a coincidence. Maybe it was just God. Amen? So I love how the angels show up. They don't show up from afar off. They just let them see. I want to encourage you in the very same thing. Listen, everywhere you go in your world, everywhere you go in your life, Jesus is on the inside of you and God's with you. And listen, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. You know what we do? Well, I got to get things straightened out first, right? I got to get okay. I got to get better. I got to get my act together. I got, I got to be okay. Then when I do that, then God will use me. No, no. You know, God wants to use you right in your hurt. He wants to use you right in your brokenness. He wants to use you right in the midst of your doubt. He wants to use you right in the midst of your pain. But you're waiting for everything to get okay. Then he's going to use me. You know you brush shoulders with hurting people every day, right? Right? We do. And every single one of them need a touch from God. And you know who that touch can come from? From you. From you. Because the kingdom of God is with you everywhere you go. Now, I want to show you the next one. I want to go and I want to read to you out of, uh, let me see, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And I want to talk to you about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're almost a forgotten couple in this story. Let me read to you what the Scripture says. It says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. Now, before I read another word, I want to stop right there, and I want you to listen to me. It says that they were righteous because they obeyed all the commands and the regulations. Now, that can really be a stumbling block if you let it, and I want to make it very clear to you. He was a priest in the Old Covenant, you're a priest in the new covenant. In the old covenant, they kept the law. And if they didn't keep the law, they were cursed. If they did keep the law, they were blessed. In the new covenant, you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And you're not judged every minute of every day by what you do and don't do because that judgment's been put on Jesus. Is there a price to pay for sin? There's always a price to pay for sin. But the point I want you to see is I don't want you to get hung up. Oh, well, that can't be me because I'm not keeping the rules and the regulations. Listen, the broken rules and regulations were put on Jesus, and you are now a child of God, and you're righteous with God. And you know what you do when you blow it? You say, I'm sorry, forgive me, and you go right on. But it's not like this curse comes on you or this brokenness comes on you. Are you with me? All right, let me continue to read. Listen to what it says. It says, they were careful to obey the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Here's what I want you to see in this couple right here. They're almost a side to this story. They're almost a forgotten part of this story. But I love the last sentence. They wanted to have a baby, and they said they were too old to have children. Do you know a lot of the miracles in the Bible are about babies? Abraham and Sarah, right, had a baby in their old age. Zachariah and Elizabeth have a baby in their old age named John, John the Baptist. Mary and Joseph have a baby, and it's conceived supernaturally. God loves babies. God does a lot of miracles around babies, and it says they were too old. Listen, here's what I want you to see. Now, I'm not talking about age here, okay? This isn't about age. <clears throat> if you've given up on God, it's not too late. It's never too late. If you've had unanswered prayer, if you've been hurt, 
If you've been broken, if you've been mad, it's okay. It's not too late. We sing a song here, and we haven't sang it in a while, and, and the words are, I have a plan for you, and it's not too late. Listen, whatever you need from God, he wants to do in your life, and it's not too late. You think, well, I'm too old, or maybe I've done this, or maybe I've done that, or it's too late for me. No, no, i got great news. It's not too late. Amen? Amen? It's not too late. It was not too late for them, and it's not too late for you. I want to show you one more person this morning. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And this is about a guy named Simeon. Let me read it to you. Now, Jesus has already been born. It says, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you've prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. I love the next sentence. It says, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Wow, you know what happens here, don't you? They go into the temple like they're supposed to to present the newborn child, and Simeon is there, and he asks permission to hold the baby, and he picks up the baby Jesus, and he starts prophesying. And that's what he does. He starts prophesying. He starts talking about the future and what God wants to do. And it says right here that they were amazed. Listen to it. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. I'm in the joy crowd. Yeah, you in the joy crowd? Amen. Praise God. I'm in the joy crowd. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. I'm not in the opposed crowd. I'm in the joy crowd. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now, that's all the way to the crucifixion. Now, here's what I want you to see about Simeon. Simeon wants Jesus to come back. I mean, not to be born, not to come back. I'm sorry. He wants him to be born to rescue Israel. And he tells God, God, when is the Messiah coming? When, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready for the Messiah to come. It's a lot how a lot of Christians feel today. Lord, when are you coming? Lord, when are you coming? Remember, we live between the first coming and the second coming. And he says, hey, Lord, Lord, can I just ask you something? He's like, sure. He said, could I see him before I die? I'm an old man, but could I please see him before I die? And the Lord says, okay. So he's born. He goes to the temple. The Holy Spirit speaks to Simeon. Simeon follows the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's always smart to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. He goes to the temple, and when he gets there, there, there's mom and dad, and there's baby. And he scoops up the baby in his arms, and he starts prophesying. Here's what he says, Lord, I can die in peace. I can die in peace. Because why? Because I've seen the Messiah. Listen to me. There's no prayer too small for God. Doesn't it almost seem strange to you or silly even that he would ask that? You know, in your young Christian walk, have you thought that before? I've talked to lots of Christians in their early Christian faith. Well, you know, God doesn't care about that. God doesn't care about my job or, you know, God doesn't care about this situation in my life. God cares about the big stuff. So I'll handle the small stuff and then I'll take the big stuff to God. And that's not how God wants you to live your life. Listen, there's no prayer too small for God. This guy prays, Lord, could I just see the Messiah? Could I see him before I die? I mean, in the scheme of things, that's not a very big prayer. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? It's not like,
like, you know, nations are going to change. He just wants to see Jesus, and the Lord says, yes. Can I encourage you in your prayers? It's okay to pray the small stuff. Now, I don't believe in any small prayers, because if they're your prayers, they're big and they matter. But I know how the devil works. He'll come to you and say, oh, you can't have that, or oh, you don't need that. Right, have you ever heard that saying? God answers prayer three ways. Yes, no, and wait. That is bull crap. <laughs> and not in the book. That is religion. Because it's not what it says. It says what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive them, and you will have them. So I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. There's no prayer too small. Whatever it is you need from God, you ask him. Whatever you're praying for, you ask him. And your father will give it to you. Simeon says, Lord, I just want to see, I want to see the baby. I want to see Jesus. He says, okay, you can. Now, here's what I want you to see this morning. God worked through all these people, and they were ordinary people just like you and I. Think about your world and your life. And God wants to speak through you. God wants to use you. God wants to walk with you, and the kingdom is all around you every minute of the day and every minute of the night, and allow God to walk with you. Allow him to use you to reach out to others because he wants to. Amen? Amen. Y'all stand up and let's pray. Praise God. Father, we love you. Lord, I'm thankful this morning for your word. I'm thankful for the promises of the kingdom. I'm thankful, Jesus, that you came for us. You came for us. You didn't leave us behind. You came and rescued us from darkness and rescued us from sin. Lord, would you stir in our hearts today? Stir in our hearts that you're with us, you're for us, you're working through us, and you want to use us to touch and to love and to minister to others. Father God, I'm thankful today for your grace. I'm thankful for this church and my church family. I'm thankful for Christmas. Lord, I know without Jesus, there'd be no Christmas. And Lord, we're thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hey, I love y'all. Y'all have a great rest of your weekend. And let me say Merry Christmas.